Um, guys, welcome. I am, I'm super excited to be with you. I, uh, I want to apologize in advance if I get uh, a little emotional this morning. My daughter is going to be baptized in 11 o'clock service. And uh, so we're singing that song and I'm just losing it. Just like, yeah, that's, uh, that's it. So I'm going to try to keep it together. Um, guys, we are in the book of Daniel. We reached kind of the halfway point-ish uh, last week, six, it's 12 chapters, so this is still kind of the halfway point. Um, but we're going to jump into Daniel chapter 7, which is where uh, those of you that have done the read through the Bible program, uh, many people kind of fall off in Daniel chapter 7. They love the first six chapters of Daniel, like, man, this is good stuff, this is a great story. Get into Daniel chapter 7, and it shifts genres on you, and you go from it being historical uh, writing to it being uh, really apocalyptic kind of writing, and people go, whoa, wait a second, what is this about? And so we're going to make that shift this morning. And so last week we were in the lion's den, probably the most well-known chapter in the book of Daniel. This week though, uh, I'm going to tell you, scholars think is probably the most important book of Daniel. And because we learned some things about who God is, we learned some things about how it's all going to work out. And uh, Daniel chapter 7, guys, in, in all of the books of the Bible, is, is the most predictive historical book of what has happened to this point. Okay, to this point. Now, there's some stuff coming, all right, or some other books might, might take, but to this point in history, this is the single most predictive chapter in Scripture that you can find, and we'll kind of walk through all of that this morning. And I want to I say up front, listen, you don't have to be afraid of apoc- apocalyptic literature in the Bible. Okay, so we've been talking about this faith in the face of fear, and we're going to read about four beasts in a second, and 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 that kind of your stomach kind of you start thinking about Revelation and the end times and the mark of the beast. You kind kind of I'm getting a little little nervous, and I want you to know Daniel was nervous too. So Daniel uh, had this vision, he had this dream, and and it kind of made him feel that same way. He had fear for his people. But as we're going to see this week, God is good. God's over all this stuff. And so um, join me in a word of prayer if you don't mind. We're going to ask our teacher to join us, and uh, then we will jump into the word of God. Father, um, thank you for your word. It is good, and we proclaim collectively how great, how great is the love that you have for us. We, 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 we know the answer to that question because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we know that you have held nothing back from us. That's one of those lies that the enemy has been telling since the beginning of time. He, he, he told it to Adam and Eve. He's, God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be like him. You need to, you need to go against what God is saying. You need to eat uh, this, this, this fruit, and then your eyes will be, then you'll be like God. God's holding out on you. And, and sometimes the enemy whispers that same lie into our lives that, that, um, that God, that you're holding out on us. But all we have to do is look to the cross. And we look to the cross, we realize you are a God that has held nothing back from us, that you have pursued us in a radical way, even giving us your very best, your own son, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, our, our um, request this morning is that as you come now and take your place in our pulpit as our teacher and our God, that you would exalt Jesus and that we would see him clearly here in the book of Daniel chapter 7 and that we would see and know the love of God because of it. Jesus be praised in all we think, say, and do. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right, guys, so I'm in, uh, I'm in Daniel 
chapter 7. And we're going to start in verse 1. We're just going to read it all together. Uh, Daniel chapter 7. And so it says this. It says, in the, in the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon. Now, that may throw you off a little bit because we've already been there and done that, right? Uh, Belshazzar's already been on the throne. He's been overthrown by Darius the Mede. Um, Daniel's been thrown a lot. So we're, we're going back in time. I just want you to know what's going on. Just kind of track with me. So Daniel is now going back. He's telling you about something that happened back in time. So so, so don't get confused there. It says, uh, in that first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel had a dream with visions in his mind. As he was lying in his bed, he wrote down the dream, and here is the summary of his account. So to this point, it's always been other people, mainly kings, having dreams or seeing things, and Daniel's the interpreter. Now the shoe is on the other foot. Okay, so now Daniel is telling us about dreams that he is having, and, and as you'll see in a second, he's going to need an interpreter, and, uh, and God's going to supply that. So it says, uh, Daniel said, in, in my vision at night, I was watching, and suddenly the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea. Four huge beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion, but it had eagle's wings. I continued watching until its wings were torn off, and then it was lifted up from the ground, set on its feet like a man, and given a human mind. Suddenly another beast appeared, a second one that looked like a bear. It was raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up, gorge yourself on flesh. After this, while I was watching, suddenly another beast appeared, and it was like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and it had four heads, and it was given dominion. And after this, while I was watching in the night vision, suddenly a fourth beast appeared, frightening and dreadful and incredibly strong with large iron teeth. It devoured and it crushed and it trampled with its feet whatever was left. It was different from all the beasts before it, And it had ten horns. While I was considering the horns, suddenly another horn, a little one, came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. And suddenly in this horn there were eyes like the eyes of a human and a mouth that was speaking arrogantly. As I kept watching, uh, thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, and uh, and the hair of his head like uh, whitest of wool. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was convened, and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the arrogant words of the horn speaking. As I continued watching, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was removed, but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. I continued watching in the night visions and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was deeply distressed within me, and the visions in my mind terrified me. 
I approached one of those who were standing by and I asked him to clarify all this. So he let me know the interpretation of these things. These huge beasts, four in number, are four kings who will rise from the earth. But the holy ones of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. And then I, I wanted to be clear about the fourth beast, the, the one different from all the others, extremely terrifying with iron teeth and bronze claws, devouring, crushing, and trampling with its feet whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which, all, uh, which, before which three fell. The horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke arrogantly and that looked bigger than the others. As I was watching, this horn waged war against the holy ones and was prevailing over them until the Ancient of Days arrived and a judgment was given in favor of the holy ones of the Most High. For the time had come and the holy ones took possession of the kingdom. This is what he said. The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on earth, different from all the other kingdoms. It'll devour the whole earth, trample it down, and crush it. The ten horns, or ten kings, who will rise from this kingdom. Another king, different from the previous ones, will rise after them and subdue three kings. He will speak words against the Most High and oppress the holy ones of the Most High. He will intend to change religious festivals and laws, and the holy ones will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will convene and his dominion will be taken away to be completely destroyed forever. The kingdom, dominion, and greatness of the kingdom under all of heaven will be given to the people. The holy ones of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts terrified me greatly and my face turned pale. But I kept the matter to myself. May God bless the reading of his word. So, whew, before we jump in to what all that means, let's have a little uh, very brief lesson in the genre of apocalyptic literature, okay? Um, Huge difference between apocalyptic literature and historical literature. Uh, literature, okay? So this is a whole different genre that we kind of run up now on in the Bible. So um, the word apocalypsis uh, literally means revelation. Literally means revelation. That's why when you, you get to the end of the Bible, and that, that's apocalyptic literature, and that's why it's called revelation. And, 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 and what it is, is it is a, uh, think of it as, as a pulling back of the curtain, okay? It's a pulling back of the curtain to see the unseen world and how it affects the world that we do know and see. Okay, So apocalyptic literature, it's, it's a pulling back of the curtain to see the unseen world and how it is working in the world that we do know and that we do see. And, and, and you, you need to know that it's literature that is full of symbols and pictures. Word pictures, symbols. And so it's not meant to be taken literally, but the interpretation of it should be taken literally, Right? When, when, when we know what those symbols mean, then we have to go, okay, yes, yes, that's... So, so I'm not looking for an actual beast that is coming out of, of the sea. That's not what I'm looking for. Uh, I, and, and, and so we're going to get into that. And, and so most of these things are symbols. Um, David Helm, one of the writers of the commentaries I've been reading this week, he kind of best described this transition from Daniel 6 to Daniel 7. He's like, the first six chapters of Daniel, we're, we're, we're listening to a really great story. He says, suddenly, you get to chapter 7, and it's a blockbuster movie. 
You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, all the special effects are here. All the cool stuff is here. All of a sudden, you get to chapter 7, you're like, I'm not just hearing a story. This, this is like, and this, this is what it's meant to be. Apocalyptic literature is that way. It's, it's kind of eye-catching. It grabs your attention. Uh, lots of symbols. And so, uh, thus far, we've been listening to a story. Now, we're going to watch the movie, and, and uh, we're going to talk about these symbols. And so, three points I want to share with you this morning about Daniel chapter 7, and, um, and I'll be honest, I don't do this a lot, I'll give you the whole sermon, all the points, off the beginning, uh, the whole sermon can be wrapped up in seven words, okay, seven words, the whole sermon, all right, kingdoms rise, God reigns, we will rule, <laughs> all right, I mean, if you want to wrap up Daniel chapter 7 in seven words, that's it, kingdoms rise, God reigns, we will rule. So let's, let's talk about it. First point, ready? Um, guys, kingdoms rise. Kingdoms rise. So Daniel chapter 7 is interesting. There's actually um, been something going on in the book of Daniel uh, chapter 7, uh, from chapter 2 to chapter 7, that maybe you haven't caught, because we're reading it in English, but originally it wasn't written in English, it was written in a couple of different languages. So um, from chapter 2, verse 4, until the end of chapter 7, this hidden thing happens, and that hidden thing is a language shift. And so uh, the book begins in Hebrew, and then in chapter 2, verse 4, it switches to Aramaic, and it continues in Aramaic until it gets to the end of this chapter chapter. And so he says, why is that the case? I'll tell you why I believe it. I think it's the case because we're meant to see that chapter 2 and chapter 7 tie together. Okay? And so chapter 2, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And in chapter 7, now Daniel has a dream. And we're meant to see those two dreams go together. Okay? Those two dreams go together. Now, I'll show that to you this morning. And so um, there's these, these two, two dreams, and, and they tie together. And you may have forgotten the dream that uh, Nebuchadnezzar has. So let's flip back to chapter 2 just to kind of refresh our memory about these, these two dreams and how they tie together. Excuse me. All right, so chapter 2, starting verse 31. And um, this is Daniel explaining Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He says, Your majesty, as you were watching, suddenly a colossal statue appeared, and that statue was tall and dazzling, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was terrifying. The head of the statue was pure gold, and its chest and its arms were silver, and its stomach and its thighs were bronze, its legs were iron, its feet were partially iron and partly clay, uh, and as you were watching, a stone broke off without a hand touching it and struck the statue on its feet of iron and fired clay, and it crushed them, and then the iron, the fired clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were shattered, and they became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. The wind carried away, not a trace of them could be found, but the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell you, uh, O king, the interpretation. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heavens has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and glory. Wherever people lived or wild animals or birds of the sky, uh, he has handed them over to you and made you ruler of all of them. You are the head of gold. But after you, there's going to rise another kingdom inferior to yours, and then another kingdom, a third kingdom of bronze, which will rule the whole earth. And then a fourth kingdom will be as strong as iron, 
For iron crushes and shatters everything, and like iron that smashes, it will crush and smash all the others. You saw the feet and the toes, partly potter's clay, uh, partly of iron. It'll be a divided kingdom, though some of the strength of iron will be in it. You saw the iron mixed with the clay, and that the toes of the feet were partly iron, partly clay, um, and that'll be brittle. And so it says, uh, listen, in the days of those kings, the God of heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, and this kingdom will not be left to another people uh, it crushes all these kingdoms and brings them all to an end. But it itself, it itself will endure forever. And so, um, now, that's, that's Daniel 2. Now, in Daniel 7, we have another dream. This time, it's a dream that Daniel has. And in this dream, again, we've, we've, got, we've got four things going on. So, so uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream about four kingdoms. Now, Daniel has a dream. There's four beasts, and, and, and we know the interpretation that these are symbols because Scripture says uh, when Daniel asked for interpretation, hey, these four beasts are four kings or four kingdoms that are going to rise. So the, the first beast, he says, is a lion with, with eagle's wings, right? So that's the first one that, that pops up. And then after the lion with, eagle, with eagle's wings, uh, there comes a, a second kingdom, and, and that kingdom is a bear, which favors one side over the other and has, has three ribs in its mouth. And, and then the, the third kingdom is, a, is, I always want to say a jaguar. It's not a jaguar. It's a leopard. It's a leopard with four heads and four wings. And so uh, that, that's the, the third kingdom. And then the fourth doesn't have a name. It's just a beast. It's a beast with these iron teeth, and, and, and it's crushing everything uh, in its way. And so um, we, we know, again, because of the text, that these are our kingdoms. And so let's walk through it. So the first beast, um, that would be the kingdom of Babylon, right? The, the lion with the wings. That would be the kingdom of Babylon. So throughout Scripture, Babylon is talked about as a lion. For instance, in the book of Jeremiah, it, it talks about Babylon as a lion. When they, when they went and excavated uh, ancient Babylon, they actually found winged lions there in the city. And, and so and it makes sense to us. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar uh, later has, has another dream where, where basically, and then, and then he's proud, he opposes God. He says, look at everything I've built. And for seven seasons, he goes wild and he grows feathers like an eagle and talons like an eagle and and for seven seasons he's he's this wild dude out out eating the grass like 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 a cow and and yet he's got these feathers on his back like an eagle and then after seven seasons he looks up to God he realizes he's not in control anymore but God is at that point God plucks the wings or off of his back you guys following how this dream how these two tie together plucks the wings off his back stands him up like a man and he gives them the ability to talk and to think and reason and he restores unto him his kingdom. And Daniel's like, uh, man, man, this first beast, it scares me. And, and the person, I'm going to say person, the angel, in my opinion, who helps him interpret this dream is like, hey, that's Babylon. So that's the first beast. So there's a second beast though. And, and, and you remember after uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, it, we, we, we next hear about this king named Belshazzar. And, and so uh, what, what we find is when Belshazzar's kingdom comes to an end, and uh, when Belshazzar's kingdom comes to an end, that is because uh, Babylon is invaded and they are conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire. And so we heard about Darius the Mede, part of that Medo-Persian Empire. And of course, uh, of the two, this is the bear. 
right? It favors one side over the other. And, and in that empire, it was the Persian Empire, it was the Medo-Persian Empire, but the stronger half of that empire was, was the Persian Empire, favored one side. Now, now get this, that bear had three ribs in its mouth. Uh, th- this empire conquered three other world powers, Okay, had three ribs in its mouth, conquered three other world powers. Who did it conquer? It conquered Babylon, it conquered Lydia, and it conquered Egypt. All right? And so, listen, Daniel has a dream, and he's like, hey, listen, this great kingdom, uh, kingdom of Babylon, it's going to be conquered by another kingdom. Uh, this bear, it's going to favor one side, it's going to have three ribs in its mouth, and I'm just telling you, this is, this is actual history, and because the Medo-Persian Empire is what conquers the kingdom of Babylon, they conquer Babylon, they conquer Lydia, they conquer, conquer Egypt. Now, he says, there's going to be a, a, a third kingdom, and, and this kingdom uh, is represented by this beast that is a leopard with four heads and four wings. Now, how fast is a leopard that can also fly? I'm just saying. This is a fast, fast beast. And so it will be that the kingdom that conquers the Medo-Persian Empire, right, is the kingdom of Greece, and it is Alexander the Great who takes over the entire world in, in the fastest time we could ever think of. In less than 10 years, he conquers all of the world. Every world power conquers. Like, to the point that Alexander the Great's like, who, who's left to fight? Who, who's le- who, who else can I conquer? There's no place else to conquer. He conquered all of the known world in less than 10 years. And, and Greece became this great world power, lightning quick. But get this, when Alexander the Great died, you say, what about these four heads? When Alexander the Great died, that great kingdom of Greece was split into four kingdoms, to four heads. And, and so there broke up, and, and, and there was Greece and Macedonia. Then, then the second kingdom was, was Thrace and Asia Minor, and the third kingdom was Syria and, and Babylon and, and most of the Middle East, and the fourth kingdom was Egypt and Palestine. Those four heads on that beast. And we're going, man, this is kind of crazy. And then we had the fourth beast, right? The fourth kingdom that comes and it devours that other kingdom. You say, well, who is that? Well, historically, it's got to be Rome. It's got to be Rome. Uh, I'm going to steal a, a word from my friend Tom Williams. It's Rome-ish. It's Rome-ish. You say, Pastor, why do you say that? Well, I say that because the text says there's different, right? And so here it is, uh, Daniel 7, 7. After the, watching this, uh, while I was watching in the night vision, suddenly a fourth beast appeared, frightening, dreadful, incredibly strong, large iron teeth. It devoured, it crushed, it trampled uh, with its feet, whatever was left. It was different from all the other beasts before it had ten horns. And it talks about how one horn uh, pops up. It's got eyes. It's got a mouth. Um, it's, it's Rome-ish. And so here's what I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to tell you. Sometimes when we get into prophecy, we have an initial fulfillment and we have an ultimate fulfillment. Okay? James Montgomery Boyce, one of my favorite commenters, says, Hey, you need to realize here in the book of Daniel chapter 7 is the first time we are introduced to who we will eventually call the Antichrist. The Antichrist, okay? And so he, he would point to, uh, to verse 8, I think, uh, verse 8. And uh, so verse 8, and then I'll skip ahead to verse 24 and 25. Uh, he says this, he says, uh, 
While I was considering the horn, suddenly another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it, and suddenly in its horn there were eyes like the eyes of a human and a mouth that was speaking arrogantly. Now I'm in verse 24 and 25. It says, The ten horns, or ten kings, who will rise from this kingdom, another king, different from the previous ones, will rise after them and subdue three kings. He will speak words against the Most High and oppress the holy ones of the Most High. He will intend to change religious festivals and laws, and the holy ones will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will convene, and his dominion will be taken away to be completely destroyed for ever. And, uh, and so guys, here's the deal. At this point, we can jump off the rails and spend the rest of our morning trying to figure out what the ten horns mean, okay? Uh, exactly what the, what the three horns that are subdued by the little horn are. Um, we can look into world events and see if we can try to make things fit. But here's the problem. The Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what that is. We know from history that the, the fourth kingdom is Rome, but we don't exactly know how all that then shakes out because it's different. So we know that it's Rome, but we also know that it's more than Rome, that Rome predicts what's going to come here in the end. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to stick to what we know. Okay? And so we're going to kind of talk about the big picture, and the big picture is this. Here on earth... Kingdoms will rise. Here on earth, rulers will rule. And, and, and especially if you're a believer in God, they will be harsh. Okay? Don't expect any kingdom on earth to be good to you. Okay? That's a message we need in America, by the way. You guys hear me? Okay? People, all people, are inerrantly sinful And to think that a collection of people by vote will somehow uh, resurrect a righteous government that will rule all people is a fallacy. All governments will get worse. That's the truth. No one government is going to be the thing that restores and forces God's hand and makes Jesus come back. When, when you begin to think that way about theology, well, there's something that I can do. If I vote in the right people, if our nation changes, then Jesus will have to return. Then you have the same fallacy as that of the Pharisees that thought if they could force all of Israel to live righteous, then they could force the hand of God and make God return and set all things right. That's not how God works. God will return in his time, on his timetable. There is nothing we can do to force the return of God's hand, okay? It's not how it works. So we can't get caught up in that. So here's what we need to know. Because in this world, kingdoms are going to rise. And in this world, it's going to be really hard for the people of God. It's promised. It's going to be hard. It's going to get worse. That's what I'm telling you. It's going to get worse. That's what... Scripture says, all right? Everybody comfortable now? Feel good? Okay, awesome. Awesome. Here's the second truth. It's really important, though. Something we need to remember as things get worse. Ready? God reigns. God reigns. Like, listen, uh, God is not up uh, in heaven or over in heaven. I don't know what your view of heaven is. Maybe you think he's on the cloud somewhere or whatever. Um, somebody once floated out the idea that heaven is really just another parallel realm that we can't see, and that freaked me out. There you are, God, right there, right there, right here next to me, just walking with me, still doing that, okay? Just sometimes I forget. 
Listen, God is not in heaven scratching his head, wondering what's going on. Sometimes we act that way, but he's not. God is in heaven, being God, working for good, and restoring all things. And so what we have in, in Daniel 7 is a storm of chaos fills the earth, right? I mean, and, and, and the winds are, are whipping up the sea, and, and you see, what is the sea? The sea is just the chaos of humanity, right? And, and out of the, the earth rise these, these four dreadful beasts, and, and, and each of them is worse. And the fourth is the worst, with this, this arrogant horn that is speaking against the Most High and oppressing the Holy Ones of God. It says it seems, it seems so powerful, it seems like this is a, a vicious ruler, and, and there's nothing that the people of God can do, right? The people of God seemed to be doomed if you read Daniel chapter 7. That is, until the thrones are pulled out. And court is convened. And it says, then the Ancient of Days comes and has a seat. And then here comes the Son of Man in all of His glory, right? And, and, and we began to see that this God is, is working, Right? The Son of Man is going to appear. He's going to be given all authority. His kingdom's never going to end. And, 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 and of course, who, who is the Son of Man? Back to Daniel chapter 2. Right? So the kingdoms rose from where? From below. The kingdoms rise from the earth. But the Son of Man descends from above. Back to Daniel chapter 2. Where did the stone come from? Was it from below? Was it man-made? No, it wasn't. Then I saw a stone break off that was not made of man. All right? Jesus, the Son of Man. By the way, I'm, I gave that away. Jesus, the Son of Man. New Testament um, in the Gospels, Jesus is going to refer to himself. This is his favorite designation. Uh, he refers to himself as the Son of Man uh, 80 times, roughly, in New Testament. 80 times. Hey, it's me, Son of Man. In case you're wondering, just, I know you guys are a little thick, uh, which makes you wonder, how could you miss that? Right? I mean, I mean, the book of Daniel, for crying out loud, is proclaiming the Son of Man is coming. Jesus shows up. He's like, they're always like, who are you? Who are you? I wonder, are, is that guy really from God? He's like, I'm the Son of Man. I'm the Son of Man. I am the Son of Man. And so, uh, listen, I know sometimes the world seems like it's swirling out of control. Maybe in a sense it is. But we need to remember, we need to know that God is working. He is in control, even when we question that. And he is good, and he is working for good. He told us what is happening, and he told us what will happen. A time is coming when court will be convened. And the beast is going to be killed. That's what's coming. That's, that's our hope. That's what we get to cling to. But listen, Christian friends, he also said, until then, it ain't going to be easy. Okay? Now, I know some of you have been through some rough times. But biblically speaking, could we just confess we haven't been persecuted very much? Amen? Haven't been. So, we need to be prepared especially. See, this message for our brothers and sisters in other places in the world, man, they, they live this out every day. We have to be prepared 
for if things get like this, when things get like this, right? Because we know. Will our faith be shaken when your world falls apart? Will you, will you turn and curse God? Is he just God when it's good? Or will he be God when we're persecuted? You guys follow me? It's important that we know the truth. God reigns, okay? Kingdoms will rise. Kingdoms rise, that's what they do. God reigns, he has a plan, he's working for good, okay? And here's the last part, this is, this is one of my faves, right? We will reign. We will reign, we will rule. <clears throat> so this coming of the Son of Man, it not only marks the end of the reign of the kingdoms of earth, but it marks the beginning of ours. And so uh, maybe you missed this in verse 27, uh, it says this, the kingdom, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under all of heaven will be what? Given to, who's it given to? The people. What? Anybody play the lottery? You don't have to raise your hands. I'm not going to call you out in church. Most Baptists play lottery a little bit, right? They just don't talk about it. Um, We don't sell raffle tickets either, right? Um, Sorry, I couldn't help it. Uh, Listen, best payoff in the history of mankind is when the kingdom comes, get this, it's going to be given to us. So the story of the gospel at its heart is that God made us in his image to rule, to have dominion. Right? Rulership. We were, God made all, when you walk outside in a little bit and you look around and you see the birds and you see the trees and, and you see the weather, like, like listen, God actually made you to like rule over that, right? But we messed up, so we don't have dominion like we should. But God's going to restore all that. And his people, his children, he's, he's going he's to let his children rule with him which is crazy to me. It's crazy to me that we're living for that. Like this is a training ground for that. Let me show you some other scriptures just in case that blows your mind. Ready? Paul would say this in Romans and then again in 2 Timothy. In Romans he says, the saying's trustworthy. For if we've died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will also what? Reign with him. You are gonna reign with Jesus. That's awesome, right? 2 Timothy, he writes it this way. He says, uh, I have 2 Timothy 11, right? No? Okay, I'll turn to it. 2 Timothy uh, 2, 11. I've got to go all the way to the back, man. Allison, you're going to hook me up for the second service, right? Okay. That's what she's here for. She just, she's like, yeah, you always forget stuff. But All right, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 11 through 12 says this. It says, this saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. If we will also reign with him, right? It's the same thing. Paul listen, if, if we have trusted in Christ, and we are going to reign with Jesus. James says it this way in James 2.5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and what? Heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for who? Who's it prepared for? Prepared for you. Come and receive the kingdom that I have prepared for you. All right? For you. 
That's not just a story, friends. That is our story, right? It is easy to look at the kingdoms of the world and wonder if God cares and wonder if he's coming. Man, it is. It's easy to turn on the news and go, God, where are you? It really is. But when you read the Bible and you step back from all that stuff that's happening, all those places you feel like God is absent, you see this bigger picture. God said that kingdoms would rise. God reminds us that no matter what, he reigns and he's got a plan. And then he speaks this truth to us, this great promise, and one day we will rule. Which gives me one thing to do, which is endure, right? So endure. So keep it up, okay? So I want to give you some homework. I'll let you out of here. Um, Three things very quickly. Um, Number one, I think this text calls us to both wait and watch, right? Wait and watch. And, and, uh, and that's a balance thing, by the way. I've got some watchers, and, uh, and man, they are watching. They're watching the news. They're watching every headline. Uh, they're, man, did you see that? I mean, Israel, they're going to rebuild the temple. Jesus, that means if they rebuild the temple, if they put those blocks up, then it's going to happen. We're going to force the hand of God. Uh, I mean, I, I, got, I got some watchers, right? And, and to those watchers, I lovingly always say the same thing, and they get angry with me. And I'm like, no one knows the day or the hour, brother. I love you. I love you, but no one knows the day or the hour. That's what Jesus said. This is the truth of God's word. We don't know the day or the hour. And so, so you also have to be patient, right? Because if all you do is watch and watch and you're watching every headline, man, yeah, that, that's, that's a place to live. I don't, I don't know if it's a place I want to live, right? On the other side of that, I got people that are just waiting. Well, God's never going to show up in my lifetime. And so I, I'm like, hey, you better be prepared. Right? You're supposed to be the servant that's being faithful because you never know when he's going to return. So don't, don't get so caught up and just believe, well, it's, it doesn't matter. It does matter. When, when, listen, when the king comes home, he's going to see what the servant has done. And so we should be working, we should be storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven, right? So, so we, there's, there's no, like I don't get to be lazy in this process. I have to watch uh, and I have to wait. Uh, second thing, uh, we have to trust in the plan and the power of God. Okay? Trust in the plan and the power of God. I have to trust in the plan and the power of God no matter who is president, no matter what happens with Brexit, if that ever happens. Right? I think they're just going to talk about it forever. I've got to trust in the plan and the power of God no matter what happens. I have to trust. God reigns. He's over this. And, and, and that's not just a big picture thing. You know what I'm saying? Like for me, God's sovereignty is one of the most small picture things. Like it has more to do with my personal life than it does with even these big things, right? Because that means that God reigns over my finances and he reigns over my kids. Like as a parent, I'm like, I want the bad one here. And God's like, I got this, homie. Step out of the way, okay? So trust in the plan and the power of God. Lastly, all right? Train for the future by being faithful in the little things today. All right? Uh, listen, I don't know if anybody's ever told you that this is a training ground, but it is. You guys remember what Jesus said about being faithful in the little things? He who is faithful with the little things will be entrusted with what? Much. We are in training. Okay? Every day, we have opportunities to be faithful in the little stuff, okay? What is, what is the subtitle of the series? It's Daniel, what? 
faith in the face of fear. Our job is to be faithful in the little stuff. And right now there's some stuff going on in your life and you're like, oh, I don't need God in this. I got this, I got this, I got this. I'm just telling you, it's what you do in the little stuff. That's going to prepare you for the big stuff that's to come. I don't want Jesus to come back and the kingdom to be fully, you know, here before me and me to be trying to read an instruction manual at that point. (laughs) I don't know what to do, God. It's like Ikea. All you got is pictures. What am I supposed to I'm supposed to do all this with an Allen wrench? Are you kidding me? Right? I, I, I want to have worked through that book some beforehand. I, I, I want to have practiced the things that I was supposed to practice. I, I want to exercise the things that I'm supposed to be exercised in. I want to be ready for when Jesus returns. That's got to be our mindset. Everybody got it? This is good. This is, I'm, I'm not sure. All right? Daniel chapter 7, man. Daniel chapter 7. All right? Seven words, right? Kingdoms rise, God reigns, we will rule. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Uh, thank you for its truth. Lord, uh, I pray this morning that all of the fears that we have had about the future would not just be subsided, but rather they would be cast upon you. Jesus, you, you remind us we can cast all of our cares upon you. You're the one that takes our burdens and our fears. And, and we just confess to you this morning, many of us gathered here are afraid of the future. God, I, 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 don't, I, I speak for the rest of the people here. I don't know that any of us want to be persecuted. That doesn't sound fun. But God, we will trust you no matter what comes our way. We will have the faith in all the daily ways we're called to have it that you might be glorified, Jesus. And so be glorified in us this week as we seek to live these things out and to act like you are a God that reigns over every area of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen, amen.